You are now listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Doc, sharing insights through real, honest, and practical ways to improve your communication and relationships. Featuring your hosts, Dr. Pamela Kreiser, Meredith Edwards Nagel, and Taylor Polendo. Doesn't it feel great when you get noticed for doing something well at work? For that moment, it seems like you're a rising star or an influencer, a player. It's called positive visibility, and it means being noticed in a good way. But have you ever been noticed in a bad way? It means being singled out or possibly embarrassed. And because of that possibility, some people simply choose to stay out of the spotlight. Now, at work, individuals make visibility decisions all the time. Managing visibility is a crucial part of professional advancement. But let's be honest, in large organizations, many working professionals struggle with it, especially women. Have you been in the situation where you've held back, dodged the spotlight, or maybe later wished you had spoken up? Or perhaps have you had the opposite problem with visibility, saying too much and wishing you had said less? The decision to speak up or not speak up is a delicate dance. And that's why we've created the next three episodes called The Dance of Visibility. Now, in these three episodes, we're going to talk about speaking up, not speaking up, and the regret that sometimes comes with either of those decisions. In this first episode, we'll talk about not speaking up. In our next episode, we're going to talk about speaking up too much and regretting it, including the discussion of over-explaining. And in our third episode, we'll talk about speaking up and ways to speak up with fewer regrets, something we call strategic alignment. So let's dig in. In their New York Times article, Sandberg and Grant comment on this delicate dance. Quote, when a woman speaks in a professional setting, she walks a tightrope. Either she's barely heard or she's judged as too aggressive. When a man says virtually the same thing, heads nod in appreciation for his fine idea, unquote. In the Harvard Business Review, Fielding, Singh, and colleagues studied women in the workplace, and they found that women were highly aware of the rewards of visibility, but often opted out of trying to get noticed. These researchers found that some women even used the strategy they call intentional invisibility. Women in this study used intentional invisibility to get things done and to keep out of the spotlight. And they did this even though they felt underappreciated and knew that less visibility would likely harm their upward mobility. Additionally, Fielding Singh and colleagues noted, quote, many women turned to invisibility to avoid the backlash from bosses and colleagues. They were aware of gender bias in the workplace and used intentional invisibility to limit their exposure to it, unquote. While intentional invisibility can be a temporary fix for a tricky situation, it also likely comes with regret. Croft argues that not speaking up can create internal noise that works against our confidence and produces internal thoughts like, Don't say that out loud. People will think you don't belong here. There's a famous story about Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. She recalled never raising her hand during her whole first year at Princeton because she was too intimidated to ask questions. She didn't risk the possibility of embarrassment. So instead of speaking up, she kept herself hidden. She kept quiet. Now, when you and I elect to keep quiet, it's a way to stay out of trouble socially. It reduces risk. But there's still a cost. When we don't speak up, we lose the alignment we have with ourselves. We leave situations with regret, thinking I should have said something or I should have defended myself. And I become the loser in that misalignment. So why is speaking up seen as so dangerous? Well, one of the reasons is that speaking up has a quality of permanence. You can't unsay something. 
And because you can't unsay something, there's moments where we elect not to speak. It just seems to be too risky in that particular moment. It's the choice not to risk a faulty message or a possible misunderstanding. The truth is that some people don't feel safe to speak up. The costs outweigh the benefits. The thought of being dismissed, embarrassed, belittled, or criticized outweighs the possible benefit. Too much risk. Another truth is that sometimes people don't see a reason to speak up. They think, why would I bother? Nothing will happen. This is especially true for individuals in lower power positions. A belief that input is perhaps not welcome or valued. This leaves the lower power individual with a decision based on realism. Is it realistic to say this message and expect something to happen? Maybe I shouldn't go to the effort. So given all of these reasons for not speaking up, the question becomes, what can you and I do to create a better atmosphere for individuals who don't speak up? The first strategy is to stop assuming people will speak up on their own and start creating safer places where authentic communication can happen. King and colleagues conducted a study and they note, quote, a lot of times in team meetings, colleagues are discussing issues. And if people don't speak up, the leaders assume they have nothing to say and all is well. But in reality, leaders need to work harder to draw them out. Perhaps following up with one-on-one discussions with someone who didn't say much and ask, is there something you wanted to say? These researchers warn us that it's not just having airtime, it's about having a context where you feel you don't need to hold back, unquote. Now, a second strategy is to handle the feedback better, especially if you're in a power position. In their study at Rice University, King and colleagues suggested that leaders must balance the workers' belief that they can make positive change while also reassuring there won't be negative outcomes for speaking up. Sometimes, they state, this involves even creating new channels to hear those inputs. Now, specifically, these researchers talk about instances of non-endorsement. You know, where you make a suggestion or you offer an idea, but it's not adopted. Well, King and colleagues found that the leader's response made all the difference. And when they were able to effectively articulate the reason for non-endorsement, things worked out better. When leaders effectively explained, it fostered improvement in perceptions of safety, but also a higher likelihood of speaking up in the future, something they call voice resilience, which is the idea basically of fostering a future set of inputs from that individual. Now, the third strategy is for the person who doesn't speak up. If you're someone who doesn't speak up, or you found yourself in that situation, watch for and listen to regret when you feel it. Brene Brown calls regret a fair but tough teacher. Start to understand the regret. Start to understand the situations, people, and context where you experience regret for not speaking up. Start collecting the data and look for patterns to learn more about yourself. So we've got the dance of visibility. It's a tricky dance. So what's tricky? Just the consequences. We've talked about sharing too much and having that regret not being seen and then regretting not speaking up. I think I definitely regret not speaking up more than I regret speaking up. Ooh, that's interesting. Because I would say the opposite. I regret Ooh. speaking up, but not not speaking up. So I'm on the other side of the spectrum, I think. I line more with that. So it jumps out of my mouth and I think, huh, I don't know if that's going to be good. Or, oh, that might be bad. It's permanent. <laughs> I mean, I definitely have those moments. Yeah, right. I'm not saying we don't have the other. I'm just saying. Yes. Yeah. 
I was thinking, what did Stacey Ross tell us about complacency? When you don't speak up, you're kind of allowing for bad behavior a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. She had a dynamic quote, but I think about that a lot with this. We can kind of not speak up in times of injustice mm. because it feels uncomfortable or we don't really know what to say. And so I'm afraid of not speaking up that we allow some mm-hmm. things to happen. Mm-hmm. I guess that's a little bit different because we're, I guess, speaking in like a work setting place of speaking up for ourselves and mm-hmm. being noticed. But it made me think that that makes it easier than to not speak up because we're comfortable with just kind of shying away from difficult subjects or, mm-hmm. or just having our voice be heard. Mm-hmm. Is your tendency to speak up and regret it more than not speak up and regret it? And that's an interesting thing. Yeah. But we would also say that as we're thinking about all of this, sometimes you don't regret not speaking up. And sometimes you don't regret speaking up, right? Yeah. What I'm talking about are those moments where the regret is the associated feeling with acting or not acting. There can be a regret on either side, basically. Yes. So there's a regret if you don't say something. Yeah. There's a regret if you say too much, which sort of back to what Taylor was saying is there's consequences to both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But you probably have more consequences for what you've said versus what you haven't said, I would think. Yeah, but the thing that I would say is consequences for who? My tendency would be to speak up and then it sits out there and maybe it's a bad idea or maybe it's something that's true but shouldn't have been articulated or maybe it's something that could be seen as hurtful. I mean, it depends on what it is, right? Mm -hmm. All of those things could produce regret in me. But if I don't speak up, the other side of that regret for me is that I'm not true to myself. Mm -hmm. I think both have their downside because if I don't speak up, then I lose my alignment with myself where I had something I really wanted to articulate and I decided to choose others above myself in that moment. Do you relate any of those feelings with the, you talked earlier about the risk of misunderstanding or of a faulty message? Is that kind of where that's coming from for you? Oh, I think communication is absolutely risky. And I think it's riskier now than it's ever been because of the recording devices and all the ways that you and I could potentially be captured. Mm. But I do think we're more than ever exposed in that dangerous possibility. Yeah. You don't want to be that viral video. No. So Meredith, you said you're more like me in that you would say something and then later maybe regret it. What kinds of things? Well, I know that in this episode, we're talking about not speaking up. Next episode, we're going to get into speaking up too much. Yeah. And I think the evolution of this series is going to be interesting for me because the risk of misunderstanding is sometimes why I think I speak too much. Mm. But then why then sometimes I can see that I, in my life, places where I've taken the extreme of not saying anything, Mm -hmm. thinking I'm going to avoid that, but then it's, I'm left with that other consequence of like, well, now I regret saying nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it is this, like you said, this delicate, it's like a dance, you know, mm-hmm. it's trying to figure out how to balance when is the right time or place to say something. And sometimes even when is it worth it or not? Yeah. I think I used to me in my early twenties and college classes with you, Dr. K, I think in learning communication, I was so on fire for saying things that I never knew where to balance it or where to do the mm-hmm. dance. And now just through, I think, career experience, life experience, relationships, success, and failures, I'm trying to navigate what this dance looks like. Mm -hmm. 
naive communication in a way. Yeah. Like not understanding the consequences perhaps. Yeah. Or thinking I had to say something all the time. Mm. And now learning that sometimes I intentionally don't speak. Mm-hmm in your intro that for me, like struck a chord about an alignment with yourself Mm -hmm. on electing to speak or not, or in this episode, mostly just with withholding speech. Am I not aligning with what's true to me or who I am as a person when I take the choice to say nothing? Mm -hmm. Touching on what you're saying too, Taylor, that there's more consequences for speaking to me in that moment. It's like, well, the consequence is huge for me and who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I don't say something in this moment, mm-hmm. maybe we need a solid example. I actually have a, a, one of my own examples like that. I was in, I think it was like a senior in high school and this person grabbed me very inappropriately in public. And I totally froze and said nothing and then just walked away. And I think about that sometimes. Yeah. Why didn't you say something? Yeah. We could get into a whole slew of like the reasons why people in traumatic situations don't say anything, but that seems like such a consequence to what I believed about myself, that that wasn't okay, but I still said nothing. So one of the conversations we could have is about how this translates into the workplace Mm -hmm. and where it translates into the workplace is you might have a great idea and not say it, knowing that you have that moment that you're choosing invisibility, you're choosing intentional Mm -hmm. invisibility, like I talked about, but realizing that it may mean you don't get promoted. And that's a misalignment with self as well where you might have a goal of being promoted, but in that moment you betray that goal because you're making a conversational choice to not follow through with that. I don't mean to make it sound easy Mm -hmm. because I don't think it is. That's why I call it the dance. I don't think it's easy, especially for women, because you heard what I said, which is this idea of the tightrope. Women often have to have a tighter space to work in in the workplace in regarding that, speaking up and not speaking up, I think. I can see that. I have a friend who is a female in more of a predominantly male office. And she has said to me before that they'll move on and then someone will say the same exact thing she said and they'll go with it. Mm -hmm. And she's sitting there going, going, did this just happen? Yeah. I can see how it can push this friend of mine into intentionally being invisible after that. Cause it's like, well, what's the point Mm -hmm. Yeah. when you're in a lower power position? Why bother? I tried once I risked it. I put the risk out there and it got me nothing. We could talk about some different things that create what I would call the joint responsibility. We could look at this and say, people are mean or people don't take my ideas and that's bad. They should be better. But we also could say you're part of that choice though. You're still part of that. People are just not accepting of my ideas. I don't think that's the whole story. I think this regretful box that we're in is a jointly constructed place question then becomes, could there be a discussion about what can I do? And then what can the people around me do? Maybe that would be something we could talk about. And by the people around you, you mean the leaders? And peers too, I think. Okay. The examples I think of are a lot of times in the classroom and not asking questions or offering an idea or something like that. A lot of times I would have a thought or a question or idea or something and would be too afraid to state it. And someone else would and then they would get a praise for it. Mm. I've tried to really let go of what I would say is an insecurity mm-hmm. and be okay with one, asking a stupid question or having a bad idea. And two, acknowledging that a lot of mine are good and that I should just be more brave to speak up because I put a lot of weight on the person's response. It is so important on the person in leadership's role, yeah. but also knowing the, my responsibility of 
asking myself, why wouldn't I speak up? And a lot of times I thought it was more due to insecurity and just being afraid to like say something or stupid or look bad in some light and just letting that go. So I'm hearing in your experience of not speaking up, it's a huge internal dialogue. Oh yeah. I want to say this thing. I want to say this thing. I don't know if it's stupid. I don't want to sound stupid or whatever the the insecurities are that are speaking to you, whoever, you know, has them. Well, if I say this, so the teacher won't think I'm smart. If I say this, my partner will think I am an idiot or whatever the feeling is. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel that too, this lengthy internal dialogue, and then either another classmate says it, or it just doesn't get said either way you swing it. You're just, yeah, I don't know. So the imposter gets punished and the arrogant get rewarded. Mm. <laughs> no, that's what I kind of heard. Yeah. Because if we're imposters, which we all are, by the way, so not everybody <laughs> knows what they're doing. We've had several episodes on our podcast that have shown that very vividly. <laughs> and that imposter syndrome is like, I'm not good enough, or I don't have an idea that's worth sharing. Yeah. And the arrogant person says, oh, my idea is the best one in the room. Mm. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been that person. I think I always yeah. feel like I don't belong or am not good enough in some way to be an expert. So that's interesting to me. I'm thinking about the classroom and, and how you're describing like speaking up and sharing an idea or something like that, or maybe you're at a work meeting and doing that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because really we should all be kind of watching out for cultures of arrogance where only arrogant people are rewarded in an environment. Like that's kind of scary to call it that. I don't know that I've ever thought that it would be that way, but I think it really could be. In the classroom, I mean, you have those students who speak up a lot and have their voice heard. What do you think of them? Don't they kind of stand out to you more? They're trying harder or I don't know. I feel like they are rewarded greatly in the academic world. Well, generally in our culture, extroversion is rewarded. We would say that just in American culture. So yeah. we would just put that out there. I would say that people sometimes get rewarded for good ideas or they have positive favor cast on them. You know, people smile or say that's a good point or something like that. But I wouldn't say that speaking up always equals that. One thing that people can't see is sometimes someone will say something in an auditorium and I can see all the eye rolls <laughs> behind that person. Oh. No, I can though. That's so funny. And so they think that they're saying this fabulous thing. Yeah. And the hundred people behind them are rolling eyes because they're maybe speaking up too often or too confidently. Or one thing that's very unpopular is when people advance individual agendas, Mm -hmm. meaning they want you to see them as a cool person or know they have a great idea, but they want you to make sure you reinforce how awesome they are with their idea. Mm-hmm. And that gets a lot of eye rolls. Sounds like a very insecure person. Well, sometimes it's blind arrogance. Or, the, or that, yeah. Because they speak up all the time and don't realize it. I did have a student, one student many, many years ago, who used to say this before he would speak up in class. He would say, well, I have an idea. I don't think anyone in the class would understand it, but maybe oh. you will. Oh, oh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> okay, arrogance 100. Yeah. And he was he was very condescending on the audience listening and he would say well i i'm an engineer so i think in more complicated ways but let me try to break it down for you idiots next to me won't (laughs) yeah and i finally pulled him out of the class and said so just so you know how you're coming off to others let's talk about that situation we're in (laughs) oh my gosh he did not like that but i said you don't have to change 
because I'm not here to change you, but I am giving you some feedback that I don't think you're capturing. I like that. Um, <laughs> you don't have to change, but I'm going to give you some feedback that I don't think you're capturing. <laughs> that is a gold nugget. There you go. Do you remember Meredith? One of my favorite Dr. K moments was it was our first class with her and someone wanted to do class outside and she was kind of thinking about it and they started getting really big and loud and kind of like standing up and she said, I don't remember the direct quote, but it was like, you're using your body to intimidate me right now. You need to sit down and like, I will not. Do you not remember this? No. Yeah. Oh man. You put him in his place. It was like, she's like, you're using your size and your voice to intimidate me right now so that I'll do what you want. But like, you need to sit down and I will decide this for us. Imagine two young Taylor and Meredith in college and young Taylor looked at me and just went, (laughs) I remember that. I do remember. Oh boy. I do not remember that. It left such an impression. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm thinking about this non-alignment with self, because that's that moment of regret when we wanted to speak up or thought maybe speaking up would have a reward and we didn't do it. And later we're replaying that in our mind. Oh yeah. Ruminating. And I'm, yeah, I'm definitely a ruminator. I go back and replay it just like a hundred or 200 times. It's, yeah. it's not that often. Right. Yeah. In my dreams, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then you can wake up the next day and think through the whole thing again. Yep. yep um, done that. But, but here's what I would say. One thing that I don't think is productive is to stay in the ruminating state. If you have that frequently and you heard the comment in the preview about listening to the voice of regret, if you have that a lot, if you have regret frequently with a particular person or in a particular type of meeting or in a particular context, whatever that is, I think it's important if it's a repeated pattern to start addressing because it's no way to live to not speak up and then ruminate and have regret and then go into another meeting and not speak up and have more regret. I don't think that works long-term. I'm not saying to speak up in every meeting. I'm not saying to speak up in every context, but I do think when we have repeated negative patterns like that, the danger is just to repeat the negative emotions, but not take the lesson from it. Hmm. So remember what Brene says about regret, a tough teacher fair, but tough teacher. Yeah. So why do I say, listen to regret, listen to regret because regret is teaching you something about yourself. Hey, that didn't work. Mm. Pay attention. How do you lean into that? If that's what we're doing here, if we're shifting ourselves from, or like my friend that I know that has great ideas that is super intelligent and all these things, but that buildup of regret almost keeps that person mm-hmm. quiet. How sure. does that person lean into that so that they learn from the teacher? Well, one thing I'm thinking is to go back and examine what happened, but not to replay the negative emotions because that doesn't actually get us anything but suffering. Oh, mm-hmm. I do that 100. Yeah. Regret, the teacher is teaching me that I'm worried about my promotion. Or I'm worried about my manager thinking I'm not working enough or that I'm not a team player. And it's about going back to those moments and saying, what is in common between those moments? Mm. Is it that you're afraid that you're not going to be liked? Is it afraid that you're going to be disliked? That's probably more common among women. What is it going to cost you? Yeah. What will it cost you? Will you look bitchy or aggressive or too pushy? A lot of women back up on those ideas and say, I'm not going to speak up. The last thing I want is to be seen in that way. Mm -hmm. So I won't shove my idea down your throat because I don't like the optics of how that looks. Mm 
Hmm. Even if I have a great idea, it's not just repeating the negative pattern. It's saying, okay, if I looked at the instances of regret, what do they have in common? And what is it that is out of alignment? For many people, it's not filling up space. It's about not getting the promotion or about not being seen as a leader or being dismissed, perhaps, right? The cost is too high. Relating this to interpersonal relationships, Mm -hmm. moments where I have frozen, moments where I have had an urge to speak to my partner or to a family member, but have resisted. Sure. And I just, in your explanation, realized that the thoughts in my head, like the ruminating I'm having, is that if I speak now, two things. One, I speak too much. Or the second is if I speak and really say how I feel, I'm going to be too much to this person Mm. and they won't want to deal with it. So I need to deal with it myself. That's actually a very interesting scenario because it really goes to what I'm talking about, which is the answer is not necessarily speaking up again and then getting very regretful about the fact that you spoke up this time. Yeah, it's like (laughs) the deadly dance. Here's one disaster. Now I'm going to do the other one just to to trade things up. What I would say is if you have a concern over how that message would be seen, maybe seen as threatening intimacy, maybe seen as being self-centered or whatever you believe that is, the teacher is telling you, the regretful teacher is telling you, communicate that message at a different time. Good point. So if we take it back to her friend at the workplace, she is speaking up. She's not regretting what she's saying because it's valid, good things that she's saying, but she's regretting wasting her time because she's not being heard. So maybe take it to the boss in an email or in a one-on-one. I think she now resists speaking up. So now she's not speaking up because of it. Right. But how do you change that? Because we're not going to change the room full of people. Only she can change herself. What does she change? maybe different avenues to communicate her ideas. Right. Because speaking up isn't the problem for her. Like she's done it. She's got good information. She's got good ideas, but it's not being received. So what can she actually do? And what does she have control over? Right. I like the idea that you said about changing the format. Right. And don't assume that this is a man not allowing good communication to happen. Right. Everybody's capable of bad. Let's switch our conversation to the other side of this. So let's say you are the boss and you have this person who's not speaking up. And one of the things that I said was, don't assume that if they have something to say, they'll say it. And this is an interesting problem because it is very convenient if you're Mm -hmm. a person of power to have that point of view. Because people who have power can say whatever they want. For anyone listening who is in a position of power, and that could be mother, that could be boss, that could be teacher, Think through, do you assume everyone's got an equal shot here to speak? And that assumption is very dangerous to have. I was thinking about that in context to having kids. And right now, as they're very young, I think like, oh, yeah, of course, I'll be interested in what they think. And they'll feel totally comfortable in sharing that. But it's going to be completely reliant on my response to when they do speak up. That leads us into that study that I talked about. Yeah. Boss's response dictated everything else. Yeah. So the boss's response dictates two very important pathways. One, how you're going to feel about speaking up. Yes. And two, whether you'll voice an idea in the future. Voice resilience. They studied that non-adoption. You have maybe a great idea and the boss doesn't do it. And so here's the mistake that bosses make. Bosses will too often just say, we're not doing that. So do parents. So do teachers. So do all kinds of people in positions of power. Say, we're not doing that. And they don't say why. Be careful if you're in that position of power in thinking that's a good strategy. Because what we learned from that study is you talking about why it's not adopted and helping that person understand why it's not adopted because it's not in our budget, 
or because it can't happen in the time period we have available or because this other notion is saves us 10% more money or whatever it is. But going through and explaining that dictates a very, very different set of responses such that that person's mm -hmm. more likely to think positively about work, to think more positively about sharing ideas and will likely have that voice resilience where they'll speak in the future. And that I think is really interesting to think about in the workplace, but I thought a lot about it as a parent and thought how often do kids throw out an idea and we just don't say why we're not gonna go to that restaurant or visit that family member or whatever, and we don't give the explanation and we don't even maybe feel a need to do it, realizing that we are systematically participating in shutting down that individual. It's a new concept for some people in a position of power. You might be systematically shutting down people from their opinion. Combine that with the fact that you're assuming that they'll say something if they have something to say. Mm. It's a pretty dangerous equation right there. But you have to study the people who work for you if you're the boss or if you're the mom or you're whoever you are. Study those people and notice when they are not speaking and investigate why that's the case. Because sometimes mm. people don't like certain topics. Sometimes they don't like certain situations or they don't like certain feelings or certain things are riskier because mm. now I'm up for promotion. And so now that we're talking about this, I feel more vulnerable. So I'm not going to, while I'm under review, share anything. Maybe it's a situation like that. But I do think the boss has a lot of responsibility there to figure out what's going on. Yeah. yeah. As you and I do our best to create more space for communication to happen, Let's keep in mind the strategies. One strategy is to examine what regret is teaching us about ourselves and our silence. And for our leaders, as well as our coworkers, it's time to study the interactions of our teams and seek to find contexts where positive communication can occur. We can't just assume it will happen on its own. In our next episode, we will continue to examine the dance of visibility. And we will discuss the risks of over-explaining, justifying, and trying to retract what we say. Well, thank you for joining us today. And please remember to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. Join us next time. And thank you for listening to Asking for a Friend. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Our email is hello at afafpodcast.com. This show is for educational purposes only and is copyrighted. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. Thanks for listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Talk.